I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 and move through verse 5 of chapter 3. What an opportunity we have every week to open up God's Word. You do realize that uh, half the world's never heard and believed the name of Jesus Christ. And we gather here today to celebrate and sing over and over to openly declare that our faith is in Jesus Christ. Many places this morning there are Christians that went together to do what we're doing here and they did so in secret. They didn't tell anybody where they were going. They didn't put it on Facebook. Can't wait for worship in the morning. Because they would have been arrested and even killed for doing what we've done here already today. They've gathered in basements and caves and Places not with signs out front, advertising, branding, logos to say where they are. They've had to hide to do what we've done here today. What a privilege it is to, to open up God's Word and to preach God's Word week after week after week, to hear it, to receive it, to live out the gospel the way that we do. And even in places that I've described, the gospel's still moving forward. Jesus can't be stopped. But we should stop and thank Him. Stop and be amazed that He allows us to do what we're doing here in these moments. And one of the ways that we do that is we take these moments seriously. We don't move into these moments as just another thing in the worship service that we're trying to get through and get over. We need this. We have to have God's Word to live, to survive. We have to have it. And so we come forward saying, God, I want to hear from You. I want to be changed by Your Word. I want to push all distraction and chaos out of the way so I can hear from You, so I can see Jesus, so that Your Spirit might change me. So we've got to do that. We need this more than anything else. And so that's why we stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word, Malachi, beginning in verse 17. Hear from Christ and His perfect, infallible Word to us today. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire 
and like a fuller's soap. He will set as a refiner and and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will... Be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Oh God, we hear in your word today judgment, the promise of judgment mixed in with a promise of grace and mercy. And God, we acknowledge we can't be saved unless we are first judged. And God, I pray today that none of us here today would be judged apart from Jesus. That we would be judged in Jesus believing in Jesus, trusting in Him, and saying in Jesus, I have been crucified. I have been obliterated for my sin. And we would live by faith in Him alone. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The echo chamber is real and it's dangerous. These are the words... Uh, from a friend of mine last Sunday afternoon as him and I began to watch the uh, present search for a head football coach for the University of Tennessee. Now, some of you know what happened. Some of you have no clue what happened. But we began to watch this all week with amusement through social media. And we, we began to see a process whereby through social media, each time a candidate for the job was leaked to the public, leaked to fans, through social media, fans who I consider myself one of them. I, I, if you cut me, I, I would bleed orange. I, I grew up a Tennessee fan. I love the Tennessee Vols. It's a part of who I am. And we are sick and tired of mediocre football being shoved down our throats. Now, I am not defending the way fans acted this week, but I do know how they feel. And each time a candidate was leaked, fans just sort of united together and began voicing their opinion. They began to make things up about the candidate. And they would just circulate stories and information about candidates through social media. And no one knew if it was true, believed if it was true. If they didn't like the coach, they would create a narrative and it would just be circulated and it would echo over and over and over again, true or false, bad or good. Candidates were being hired and then fired within 30 minutes. The job was being offered and then taken away. And coaches around the world were saying, I don't want any part of that. I don't don't want to go there. And it was chaos all week long. 
And I, I don't think I said one thing about college football this year because Tennessee was so bad. But I, got, I was drawn into that activity this week and was so entertained by it, was so amused by it. And I'm not condoning any of the horrible things that happened to some of the coaches, the character assassinations, the plots and sabotage. It sounded like a soap opera this week. I'm not condoning any of that, but it was entertaining to watch all week. And my friend was describing what was going on and saying the echo chamber is real and it's dangerous. Where you can create narratives that you believe and you can put those out there and they just echo over and over and over again. They don't have to be true. They are just out there. They are reverberating everywhere. And you control the narrative within your echo chamber of what you want to believe is true. And that is dangerous because so often it's not true. So often it's not reality. And so often this week it wasn't reality watching that unfold. But we all do that to some extent. We live subconsciously in our own echo chambers. We want to be affirmed. We want our views and our beliefs, whether it's about political controversy, whether it's about head football coaches, whether it's about the latest scandal with talk show hosts and news anchors. We, we want to believe what we want to believe and what we do from that point on is we find communities and groups of other people who are going to affirm what we want to believe. And we live in those echo chambers where only our opinions, only our voices, only what we want to believe is echoed. And we, we rarely know what is really true outside of those chambers. We all do that to some degree. And it is dangerous to live there. It is dangerous because we even add to the echo chamber. We hear coming back to us what we want to believe, what we think is true from other people. And we never get outside of it to what is really real. And it's dangerous. And it's where Israel is living when Malachi shows up. They're living within their own echo chamber and they're believing what they want to believe about themselves. They are believing what they want to believe about God himself. They have insulated themselves in their own narrative and it is extremely dangerous because when God begins to speak about them, it doesn't fit with their opinion about themselves. When God begins to tell them what is true, they don't believe it because it doesn't fit their views, their opinions. It's not echoing in their chamber the way they want it to. And they reject it. And they create this truth that only, only they can accept and only they can believe. And this is central to the book because we see over and over God comes to Israel. He gives them six accusations against their sin how they are failing to be unfaithful to him, how they are living in rebellion and wickedness. Six times he comes to them and he says, this is what you're guilty of. 
You don't love me. You don't fear me. You are mired in wickedness. And every time he comes to them, their response isn't, oh, we never noticed this. No, they go, what are you talking about? We don't love you? We don't fear you? We don't live according to your law? What in the world are you talking about, Malachi? What in the world are you talking about, God? They're, they're, this, the, the truth that God is bringing to them doesn't fit within their chamber of reality, and so they don't understand it. They can't even fathom it. They don't see it. And so God has to say things like, your sin is so bad, it's like feces. And I'm going to wipe it on your face so you can see it. If you haven't been here in the last few weeks, that's in the Bible. Go back and read. <laughs> they just make that up. And he says, and by the way, you act like harlots. You're chasing after false gods like prostitutes. He says, if you, if you can't hear, I'm going to shake you up. And I'm going to scream at you what's real till you do hear it. I'm going to bust open your echo chamber and give you a picture of who you really are. And notice verse 17, the, the accusation from Malachi, you've wearied the Lord with your words. And notice the response. At this point, at this point in the book, you'd think, oh, we get it by now. No, they still go, what are you talking about, Malachi? What are you talking about, God? How have we wearied you? Really? We've wearied the Lord? The Malachi says, by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. You have worn him out. You have wearied him. It's used throughout the book. You have brought God to a point where he describes himself as being physically tired. God is so frustrated with you. He is worn out and his patience has run its course and it's gone. He is wearied of you. How in the world would you be wearied of us? Well, what you're doing is you're saying everyone who does good, uh, evil is good. This complaining that Israel is responsible for is they're, they're walking around going, God doesn't care about us. God doesn't love us. Look at our worship. Look, we're always here on Saturday, Sunday, worshiping the Lord, and He's not blessing us. Our economy's bad. Uh, we have scandalous politicians, and, and God's not blessing us. He promised to bless us and they're bringing half-hearted offerings. They're bringing their leftovers to God. And what people are doing is saying, that's okay. That's what you should do. And they're saying, where is the God of justice? See, God isn't punishing you for anything. God isn't, God isn't taking you captive again by the Babylonians. God is accepting your offerings. He, he, he likes you just the way that you are. Keep bringing those offerings in. There is no judgment. There is no hell. There is no justice for your sin. Keep doing what you're doing. And God says, no, listen to me. You're wearing me out with your sin and you won't listen. And you're delusional because you think it's okay. And what we are seeing in Malachi is what Jeremiah 
talks about in chapter 17, verse 9, the prophet says, The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. And we see that very clearly in this book. Because they are sinning and they are deceiving themselves in their sin, telling themselves it's good. Their hearts are lying to themselves, telling themselves the very opposite of what God would say. Jeremiah says your heart is deceitful. It can't be trusted. Your heart is an echo chamber full of lies that will continually tell you over and over what you want to hear. So when someone tells you, just go with your heart. Trust your heart. Realize your heart is deceitful. And your heart, your heart is your worst enemy. Because your heart will tell you what you want to hear. And that's the worst thing that you need to hear. And that's going on in Israel to the point that the leaders and the priests are playing into this. He, he says, you are telling everyone it's okay to the priest. You are telling them what is evil is good in the sight of the Lord. The priests are saying, it's okay. God's okay with your leftovers. He's not going to punish you. He's not going to judge you. That's in the past. That, that's your history. God was a God of judgment before. Now He is a God of love. Bring whatever you want to Him. He loves and He accepts you. And God says, it's wearing me out. All the while, the priest's salaries are going up. All the while, temple attendance is increasing. People love to hear what they want to hear. And it's scary and it's dangerous. But it's the same thing that we do. We live in a culture where we can hear whatever message we want to hear whenever we want to hear it. There are podcasts. There are people on Twitter that you can follow. There are Facebook pages. You just wake up in the morning and say, what do I want to hear today? And you will find someone who will tell you what you want to hear. You will. Do you know how dangerous that is? And it's dangerous in the context of the church. We have so many options. And if you say, I want to feel good about myself on a Sunday. I want a pep talk every week. I, I, I don't want to hear about sin and I don't want to hear about my mistakes. Well, you can find a church that's going to do that for you. I, I got a friend who when someone comes and complains to him about his preaching... He has five brochures of other churches in the community that he just lays out on the desk. He says, which one do you want to go to? Because he understands we want to hear what we want to hear. And our options are plentiful. We can find preachers who say, let's not talk about sin. Let's assume it, but let's not emphasize it. Jesus is great and so are you. Yeah, sin is bad. Sin is really bad, but not your sin. Let's talk about the sins of the world. The gays, ISIS, really bad people, but you're okay. You can find that wherever and whenever you want to. You can heap up what Timothy calls preachers who will tickle your ears. And the danger is you never hear the voice of Jesus from your echo chamber. You never hear it. I don't want to change. So you can find a counselor who says, you don't have to change. By the way, your problems 
aren't your fault. You're a victim. All of the bad things that happened in your life, don't worry about change. A heart that says, I just want to be happy. You can find friends that say, you deserve to be happy. You should be happy. Go with your feelings. Be happy. And the worst voice that you can listen to is the one who looks in the mirror and says, I deserve more. I deserve more. God must not love me. God must not care about me. If he did, he would give me what I want. And we begin to live in the echo chamber of our own minds and we are convinced of lies. And God says, no, I'm going to step in and I'm going to make this right. I'm going to step in and make sure you hear what is true. Instead of flocking to words that affirm, I'm going to send a word in flesh, a preacher, an accountability partner, a counselor who will bust open your best opinions about yourself so that you can see Jesus clearly. Do you realize that? What's getting in the way of you seeing and loving God more is your best opinion about yourself. And you need a better opinion about Jesus. And God says here, I'm going to send a messenger who will do that. I'm tired of being misrepresented by the voices in your mind, the voices in your heart, the voices in your pulpit. In verse 1, he says, behold, I send a messenger. He says, stop, hold up, behold, stop. He arrests their attention. Listen to me. I'm going to send a messenger. And he refers here to this prophet prophetic warrior who's going to come in and tell them the truth. And he says, your leaders are coddling in you and your sin. And they're benefiting from it. Their salaries are going up. But I'm going to send this prophetic warrior who's going to step on the scene and he's personally going to stand in the temple and he's going to show you what is right, what is good, what is evil, what is bad. And notice he says, he will prepare the way before me. Literally, this means to clear a path. This means to move things out of the way so another one can come in. And he says, I'm going to send this prophet who's going to come. He's going to push all of these corrupt leaders out of the temple. He's going to purge all of the sin in the temple. He's going to prepare a way. He's going to clear the brush of sin and wickedness so that I can get in there and speak to you. And notice he says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come in the temple. There is this message of judgment. There is this message of warning. If you don't turn from your sin, God's going to come. And when He comes, He's going to wipe you out if you're left in your sin. And I'm going to send a prophet who's going to clear the way so that this one you say you're seeking is all of a sudden going to be there. And notice, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight... Behold, stop, I'm begging, I'm pleading with you to see. He is coming, says the Lord of the host. You say you delight in my promises. You say you delight in the covenant. You say you delight in being my people. Well, I'm going to show you what it means to be my people. And I'm going to purge and clear out 
corrupt leaders and, and, and I'm going I'm to purge the temple of wickedness. I'm going to send a messenger who's going to move all of that out and then boom, the Lord of hosts, the highest ranking war general in the world, the one who, who controls the forces of heaven for his good and for his purposes. He's going to be standing in the temple, the one you claim to represent. He's going to come and represent himself but he's going to blaze a trail of righteousness and judgment first. And we get a glimpse of this in Malachi. The ministry of Malachi was to walk the streets and point out the sin of Israel. He was to stand at the temple, and when they brought dirty, mangy animals in, he confronted the people and said, that is a leftover. God will not accept that. I don't care what your priest says. God will not accept your leftovers. He will not accept your offerings with blemish. And Malachi is standing up, purging the temple with his message, purging the people with his message. But the ministry of Malachi always pointed to another messenger. And we see that when John the Baptist, Jesus' bug-eating cousin down by the river, And he is preaching what? A message very similar to that of Malachi's. And he's described as a prophet out in the wilderness who is preparing the way of the Lord. And what's going on is you see John the Baptist down by the river. All of the people are leaving the city. All of the people are leaving the town. All of the people are leaving the temple to come out to the Jordan to be purged to be cleansed. And you see a picture in John the Baptist of one who is preparing the way. And he is cleaning out the city of Jerusalem. He's cleaning out the temple so that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, who he points to, can come into the city to purge it. You see that picture in John the Baptist as he is symbolically removing sin, as he is symbolically preparing the way of the Lord that we see in Jesus. John the Baptist, his message was to clear back, was to prepare the way for Jesus to come to us so that Jesus might prepare the way for us to go to God. And we see that in his ministry. But notice in our text here, Malachi points to a messenger who is the Lord. The messenger here and the Lord who's coming are one and the same as Malachi describes them. And we see this in Jesus. Jesus is the Lord coming to the temple. Jesus is not only the messenger, he's the message that comes and purges the temple, purges his people. And we see that when we hear that this word who is Jesus, took on flesh and lived among us. When we see that, what we are hearing is He took on flesh and He tabernacled among us. He he templed among us. He was God's presence in God's temple among us. He is the messenger. He is the Lord. And He is the Word that has come to purge the temple, purge His people. Jesus is the Word that bores through and clears back and prepares a way for the Lord to come in. Jesus is the preacher 
the counselor, the friend who steps into our life and he clears back the brush. He clears back the lies of our hearts so that he might live with us. That's who Jesus is. You see, right now, some of you are believing the lie that your life is meaningless, that your life has no purpose. And God is so committed to pushing back and breaking through that lie that he sends his only son who stands before you in flesh and blood and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He sends his son to bust open the lie that you have to live in meaninglessness and without purpose. He says, Jesus, standing before you in flesh and blood, says, I know what God's will for your life is. Some of you are here today and you believe that God's will is this mysterious thing that you just can't find. It's out in the middle of nowhere and you just can't catch it. Jesus stands before you in flesh and blood through the authority of his word and says, I know what God's will for your life is. It's believe in me. Trust me. Follow me. And he busts open that lie of meaninglessness and purposelessness in our lives. Some of you are here today and you are believing the lie that God doesn't love you, that God can't love you, that, that, that you, you've messed up too bad for God to love you. Or the things you're experiencing in your life, the difficulty, the suffering, is a testimony that God doesn't love you. And Jesus stands before you and says, no, real blood was shed to declare to you, you are loved by God when you believe in me, when you trust in me. He busts open. How could you doubt God's love for you? He sends his son who is crushed for you and dies for your sin. Some of you are here today saying, I deserve more. And God says, no, I, my son got up out of a first century coffin and he walked out and he lives and he is seated at the right hand. And when you believe in him, you have a kingdom that is coming to you. How could you want any more? You deserve more. Don't believe that lie. And Jesus steps into our lives in his person, in his presence, in his promise, and he busts open our echo chamber of lies and he, and he pushes himself in with words of truth so that we might be pure, so that we might be made right with hearts that understand the gospel, with hearts that see him clearly. But notice, he says he is coming to do this. But verse 2 who can endure his day of coming? When you hear the Messiah is coming, God is coming, people are going, yeah, yeah, Malachi, we've heard that. All these prophets have said that before. Yeah, Malachi says, but listen to me. You're not going to be able to stand. I got good news for you. God's coming, but you're not going to be able to endure it. Who can endure it? The word literally means to contain it. I mean, you can't hold it. It's too much for you to see, the, to see God, to be overwhelmed with His presence. And we see that throughout the Bible. Anytime anybody gets a glimpse of God, they're not running to it. They're running away from it. We don't want us. Why? You, you overwhelmed with His authority and His power, you can't contain it. You can't hold it. You can't stand it. But He says here, God is coming... He says, who's going to be able to stand when he appears? And this is why. 
Continuing in verse 2, For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. And he will set as a refiner and purify, and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. The reason you can't stand it is because God is a consuming fire. And when he comes with his holiness and righteousness, it is going to burn you and your impurity to death. And he refers to the process whereby metal is heated to the point of liquid. And all of the impurities come to the top. And they are scooped out. And this metal, this silver and gold, it it ends up in its most precious, most valuable form. After all of the impurity here, the soap that is used to wipe off the stain, the, the, the rags that are used to make it shine, to make it perfect. He refers to this refining process. And he says, God is going to sit in the temple as a refiner. And he's going to burn out all of the impurities until, he says here, the sons of Levi. And we've talked about throughout, that's the priest. That's the priesthood. And they are corrupt and they are serving themselves. They are preaching a false message. They are accepting unacceptable sacrifices and offerings. And God says, I'm going to come in and burn them out. They are impure in my temple. And I am going to be a blazing, consuming fire that pushes, removes clears way of the impurity in this priesthood until they will bring offerings of righteousness to the Lord. And he refers to the kingdom of priests that we see in the New Testament who is the church, who is covered in the righteousness of Christ. And what they have to bring is not their own righteousness, but they have the righteousness of Christ, which is the only thing God will accept on their behalf. And he says, I'm going to purge all sin, all impurity, everyone who opposes me in my presence, I'm going to purge them out of the way till verse 4, then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, As in the former days, I'm going to come set up shop in the temple and I'm going to burn out anything that opposes me and you're not going to be able to stand. You will not be able to endure this process. I will make my people acceptable. I will make their offerings acceptable. And if you oppose me, you will not be able to stand. And then verse 5, he says, Then I'm going to purify my temple, and then I will draw near for judgment. And I will be a swift witness. I will bear testimony. I will tell the truth against the sorcerers. And he begins to list all of the sin that the people of Israel could look around and see. And he says, I'm going to come in. I'm going to purify the temple. And then I'm going to tell my people what is right and what is wrong. And I'm going to point out the sin in their midst. And I'm going to speak these things and I'm going to testify to these things. And he refers to sorcery here. This was a Canaanite practice where they they tapped into false gods and spirits and they they trusted uh, fate and chance and and forces that were out there to guide their lives and and to tell them what to do and to provide for them. And, And he says, I'm going to point out that that's wicked. You've accepted those things as my people. You're not trusting in me. I'm going to declare the truth that it's wicked. 
He refers to adulterers here. We talked about last time how there was the practice of many men in Israel who they were leaving their wives to marry foreign women who were worshiping idols. And they were accepting those practices in their homes. And God says, you are harlots. And that is a picture of what you're doing, Israel, as you are cheating on me with false gods. And I'm going to come and I'm going to personally have the sorcerers, the adulterers, and then he says, false witnesses stand before me and I'm going to testify of their sin. Those who are bearing false witness, those who are lying, they, they're believing lies, things that aren't true, realities that they just speak into existence, whatever they want. And in doing so, they are bearing false witness about me. They're telling lies about me. And then he refers to the way that the people of Israel are not taking care of the poor. He says those who oppress hired workers, the slaves in his wage, and the widow and the orphan and the sojourner, the immigrant, says the Lord, you are not taking care of the least of these in your culture. And I'm going to come and I'm going to show you how you're not. God always commanded Israel to take care of the poor, the aliens, the immigrants, the foreigners who joined them, they were always to take care of them and fold them into what they were doing. Call them to believe in Yahweh and take care of them financially. And he says, you're not doing it. The reason I want you to do it is because I always want you to be reminded you were a slave in Egypt. Remember you were slaves in Egypt? Remember you were immigrants in Egypt? Remember you were wanderers in the wilderness without a home? Remember, you've been poor before. Remember, and I always want you to take care of the poor in your midst so you never forget who you are. And by the way, you've forgotten who you are. And it's seen and testified in the way that you don't care for the least of these in your culture. And I'm coming and I'm going to testify against you. And those who he says here, do not fear the Lord, says the Lord of hosts. Here is the heart. The last phrase here is the heart of their sin. They, they don't fear God. They're not standing before God saying, you are the one who delivered us from Egypt and wiped out Pharaoh's army. You are the one who has gone before us in the wilderness and you defeated all of our enemies and you gave us the promised land and you are, the, you are a consuming fire and anyone who opposes you will be wiped out. You've even punished us. You took us into captivity. You, 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 you took us away from everything that we knew, our homes, our families. We've seen you wipe nations out, including us. But now they stand and there's no fear. Who is this Lord of a host? And because they don't fear him, they're not listening to him. Because they don't fear him, they're not obeying him. And Malachi says, well, I've got good news. He's coming back. But when he comes back, it's going to be like the train, the light at the end of the tunnel that you're running to for some hope. And when you meet this train head on, you're going to be wrecked because you don't think you deserve his judgment. But he is a fire that is coming and all who, who would not turn from their sin, turn from their self-righteousness, they will be wiped out by his presence. You see, when we list all of those sins there, the tendency with Israel is to think about somebody else. 
sorcerers, adulterers, yeah, the Canaanites, the world, those people out there, not taking care of the poor, that's not us. People who are bearing false witness, yeah, all these other lies, these religions that are based on lies that are out there, that's not us. And what God is doing here is He's shaking them and going, It is you! You are my enemies! You are the ones who are about to be purged! You are the ones who are about to be wiped out! And that's what we see with John the Baptist, this messenger who is preparing the way. We look at John the Baptist, and he is out in the middle of nowhere, eating bugs, looks like he hasn't bathed in months, and what is he doing? He's not preaching a message of feel-goodism. Hey, y'all come out to the Jordan and be baptized so you can feel better about yourself. No, what he is doing is he's talking about an axe that is going to be laid at the root of Israel. And Israel is going to be chopped down and thrown into fire. And John the Baptist says God is going to take a winnowing fork and he's going to stick it in that fire and raise it up and anything that is left that is good will be his. But most of Israel is about to be judged and wiped out. And you know what the church folks did? Oh, that sounds like a message we can believe in. God's going to judge our enemies. He's going to judge the world. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they come out and they stand before John in all of their religious deeds and they want to add one more religious deed. And John says, you brood of vipers? I mean, that is a way to grow a church. You pit of snakes? You have come out here thinking you can just go through these motions? You don't believe you deserve judgment. And that's what baptism is about. It's about judgment. I have this conversation with a lot of people. They, they, talk, they talk about being baptized and it. it's scary. I've got to get up there and I've got to share my testimony. That, that's so scary. And, and then I've got to be underwater. I don't even like to swim, some people say. I'm scared of water. It's so scary. And my response, sarcastically, so often is, yeah, so is hell. Not that you have to be baptized to escape hell, but that's what you're picturing, is hell. And that's what John the Baptist is saying, is when you come out here, what you are saying is you deserve to be immersed into the fires of hell and brought forth as something better, clean, purified than what you are. And the church folks of the day couldn't see it. They do the same thing we do when we read the Bible. We have a tendency in our echo chamber to read the Bible and always think of ourselves as the hero. I, I'm always the hero, right? I'm the one that's going to kill the bears and the lions and the giants. And I'm going to throw a slingshot of faith at Goliath's head. You're not the hero. That's not who you are. We read the Bibles and we're always the good guys. The church, the world is the bad guys. And sometimes we read our Bibles as if it is just for someone else. When we are to read it and always see ourselves as the villain... 
We're to read the Bible and always see ourselves as the one who needs help. Read the life of Jesus. The Pharisees, the church folks, were the bad guys. They were the bad guys. And they didn't see it. It was the prostitutes, the drunkards, the gluttons. Those are the people Jesus were saying, Come, I'll have a meal with you. I will eat with you. I will dine with you. I will go to your parties. It was the religious folks who were going, Who is this? And so often we come to our Bibles and we are not saying, Who is this? And it's because we are clinging to our self-righteousness. And the message of Malachi, the message of John the Baptist, is you have to turn from your self-righteousness. The desire that you have to live in your echo chamber and only hear the good things about yourself. You've got to die to that. You've got to immerse it in the pit and fires of hell till you don't believe it anymore so that you might have more of Jesus. To the extent that you are clinging to your righteousness is the extent that you are not delighting in and seeing Jesus. You are getting in the way of this messenger to come and speak the truth to you. That, that, that's the point of the gospel is you can't save yourself. And we take the gospel as fire and say, God, burn from my life pride. Burn from my, my life the, 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 this idea that I can do it on my own. That my sin is, is bad, but it's not, as, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as my neighbor. It's not as bad as someone I can go out there and find to fit my narrative that I'm better than. Burn, God, take the gospel and burn that from my life. God, this is why in Hebrews the Bible is talked about as a sword. It is a living and active sword. And, and we read that and we think it's a sword we go out and do battle with. No, the Bible is a sword. And in the book of Hebrews, what God is describing there is a sword that you judge yourself with. And you are laid open before God to see even your thoughts and intents, even the motives of your heart that you didn't think were bad. You think, I've been doing that my whole life. I've been saying that my whole life. God, take your word and, and lay me open so that I might see these false views and lies of myself so that I may turn and have more of Christ. It's why the Word of God is described as a hammer. It's a fire and it's a hammer. Why is it a hammer? Because God is nailing and beating out of you with the hammer of His Word, the pride and rebellion and lack of submission so that you would bow before Him, so that you would come and say in His Word, God, You have spoken as Your creature. I must listen. And ultimately, the gospel is a blood-soaked soap that cleanses us of all unrighteousness and impurity and the stain of sin so that we are shaped into this wonderful thing that God will dote on forever. A treasure, a masterpiece. That's what God, God's doing to us with the gospel. But the problem is, if you push that away, think about pushing fire away. It's not going to do its right work on your life. Think about pushing a sword away. You're not allowing it to do what it's there for. Th think about pushing the hammer away. There's only pain involved in that. And what God calls us to do in the gospel and the word of God is to lay ourselves bare and say, burn all impurity out of me with Jesus. God, do it. 
Destroy my pride. Destroy my impatience. Destroy my guilt. Beat it out of me with your word, with grace and mercy and by the power of your spirit. I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like this priest who only offers you what is acceptable. I want to be found in him. You see, the good news is for those of you who would bow and turn from your self-righteousness today, you don't have to face the fire eternally. Because there was another person who came to Jesus or came to John out in the wilderness. His name was Jesus. And when he came to Jesus, we, we, we think about the interaction with John and Jesus. Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And we almost think about it this way. No, Jesus, you're too good. You're, you're too good. Why are you out here doing this? You're the one who's going to save us. This is a humiliating act. Why would you do it? And, and Jesus says, what John is saying to Jesus is you don't deserve to be judged. You don't deserve to be wiped out by God. Why are you doing this? And Jesus' response was, to fulfill all righteousness. And he allows the prophet to immerse him in the water to say to us, to say to us, I'm going to be burned. I'm going to be suffocated. I'm going to die in smoke under the wrath that you deserve. Jesus comes out and he faces the refiner's fire for us. He faces the sword for us. He faces the hammer of God's judgment for us. And he says, if you would believe in him, if you would trust in him, if you would rely upon him, only then can you stand. Only then will you stand on the day of judgment when Jesus comes with fire coming from his mouth to, to, to judge his enemies. You see, the good news is there's one who's already walked through the refiner's fire for us. And he has emerged on the other side with a beautiful bride without spot and blemish. And the question for you today is you can either be judged in Jesus or by Jesus. That's the choice. The problem with what's going on in your heart right now is the echo chamber is real. And you feel it right now. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous.